And it's lights out. You turn to Flip an F1 podcast where four fanboys fire off about F1. Whether you're new to the sport or a seasoned fan, every two weeks we'll break down some of the elements of this week's F1 race through goofball games, candid commentary, and accessible analysis. As always, I'm joined by our roundtable, first with our elder statesman, Phil Cantrell. Hey, Phil. Hey, pleasure to be here. That's a reference to being a lifelong F1 fan, not an old man, right? I make no promises. <laughs> our technical analyst and general details to you, Jared Stackhouse. What's happening, man? Cheers. Uncle Nearest, uh, 1856, Tennessee Whiskey. <laughs> I love it. And rounding us out, the view from the left coast who missed this race for an important round of golf, but we appreciate him anyways. Andrew Spencer, how'd you shoot, bud? You know, I just got to say for the record, I think Pacific Standard Time has got to be one of the toughest time zones to watch F1 in, but uh, we do what we can out here. Golf is good, as it always is. I don't want to disclose any scores, but let's just say we had a lot of fun. Leave it to Andrew to complain about the Eurocentric standard to a brown guy. (laughs) (laughs) So transforming the city streets of Monte Carlo, the Monaco Grand Prix is one of the historically most glamorous and grueling races on the F1 tour. In the days before the race, the city traffic roads through the course and during the race, super yachts and celebrities gather to celebrate. It is, to say at the least, the stuff of legends. So what makes Monaco such a special race? Really, I think it's the fact that you're within millimeters of an arm code any second and, you know, one small move and you're off into the barrier and that's the end of the race. As unfortunately, Leclerc found out before the race and uh, <laughs> Schumacher uh, a couple of times in the practice session. So it's the fact that it's that tight. It's fantastic, though, to see it back on the agenda this year. So. Dennis, from a sporting perspective, it's notoriously hard to overtake on this course, meaning that there's really not a lot of a drama, you know, unless there's a shunt in the race. So why keep it on the calendar? Two reasons. First one is from the racing perspective. It's a wonderful strategy race. I, I was re-watching the race in 30, and this is a pure strategy play, this race. Drive your best within the confines of this incredibly narrow track and see what your strategist can come up with. And from a, what's called the business of F1, the glitz, the glamour of F1, it's the money, baby. This <laughs> is where the deals happen. Listening to some of the commentary. The CEOs are all there. You know, Lawrence Stroll, he's got Faith out in the harbor, which is apparently (laughs) 316 feet, 11 inches tall, or about 315 feet, something inches taller than Randy. And you can charter that for about 1.2 million euros a week, plus expenses. This is where the billionaires come to play, and the billionaires are owning F1 these days. Yeah. And so so I think it kind of answered it, but why is celebrity and fashion such a big part of the Monaco GP? Well, I mean, just building on what uh, Gareth said, I mean, there's just so much bloody money there. That and it's just such a a very Instagrammable location, right? I mean, you're right on the Mediterranean. You've got great weather, beautiful scenes, beautiful people. It's just a very glamorous place to be. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's it's amazing, the fashion and the glamour and the, the yachts and the whole thing. I mean, I love the architecture around Monica, right? Watching them run through the, that course, you get to see some absolutely wonderful pieces of an old city and that's some fun stuff. Bingo! So let's jump into it with everybody's favorite game, Box, 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 Bingo. So for new fans of the sport, it's not uncommon to hear an engineer claim, Box, 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 when they want the racer to come in for a pit stop. So in this particular case, each of our panelists, including me, have made eight predictions on a bingo card about what would happen to the race. The way that this game plays out, we all know that there's a better than average chance that Haas driver 
Nikita Mazepin is likely to spin out or bin during the race weekend. So that's at the center of all of our cards, giving us at least a 90% chance of winning bingo on this one. Each of our panelists will quickly run through their favorite predictions and let us know how they did on their bingo cards. So I'll start with Gareth, because I know uh, you got some predictions up on the board. So how'd you do on your bingo card, man? I got some right. Um, I did not follow your instructions. I, I Something about eight? I don't know. My biggest one, I'm giving myself a full 10 points for this, because I, I think I get 10 points for getting this right. Uh, fewer than 15 on-track passes for position amongst the top 10 of the race. And full disclosure, I can't find the exact stat, but I can find great charts of like lap by lap, position by position. Nobody passed anybody except in the pits, in the top 10. Okay, I was going to say, I was like, I'm pretty sure Nikita Mazepin was the only person to make an overtake in this race. Which is well, no, enough. Mick Schumacher so, made an overtake. Mick Schumacher made the overtake, guys. Wait, didn't Mazepin take him back? Like, No, there was a fuel uh, problem. He had to let him pass. Uh, Got to go back okay. to the radio calls on that one. Oh, yeah, he'll have right. some commentary about that. I don't think anybody in the top 10 passed anybody else for position other than kind of battling for position coming out of the pits. 10 points for that. And I will say the pit exit at Monaco sets up a great kind of will he or won't he as you're trying to <laughs> overcut or undercut somebody because you're coming out of that exit. You've got the shortest distance around the corner. So we saw Gasly and Vettel coming out of that and a few others. Well, we didn't see that. We almost saw no. that. Well, no, no. Thank, thank, thank you, Tele Monaco. No, Cut we'll get to that. No, Windy. You can play that back as well and see the back camera of Vettel showing how close they really did get on that lap. Yeah. And Gasly, I think, said that he was pushed out or he whined about something. Anyway, so I got a bingo for that. I also said, Maz beats teammate for only time in 2021. Now, I might have tied that to a red flag by Nick, but uh, he's got a history. I'm giving myself another like eight points for that. And uh, I'm going to lose a point for saying the Bodass proved to you was in the championship battle. Mercedes-Benz, what the heck on your pit stops? <laughs> you know, it, it's a constant theme with them. It seems like in the last couple of years, they've always had one race where something goes terribly, terribly wrong. Uh, and it's, if you're it's usually when Lewis fan. is doing badly, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when he, he's not there to pick up Beltry, but it, it seems like, you know, there's like in, I guess, 2019, there was the fiasco in Germany. Last year, it was insecure. This year, hopefully, if you're a Mercedes fan, it was the Monaco race, but they always have one where it goes terribly, terribly wrong. I haven't heard if Netflix was there filming with them this weekend. Maybe there was a bit of a Netflix curse that carried over, but certainly wasn't their best. Andrew, tell us a little bit more about the Netflix curse, because I know we've got some people that joined the podcast that have joined F1 as in fandom because of Drive to Survive. Like Andrew Netflix Spencer. Curse. Yeah, absolutely. This is where a lot of my uninformed opinions come from. So 2019, as I understand it, Mercedes was celebrating a milestone race in F1, and they had you know special livery on the car. They had uh, all the team was wearing special kit, and they had... I guess, agreed with the producers that Drive to Survive that they were going to have the cameras with them in the pit that weekend, like going through, you know, all of the special events that Mercedes had and whatnot. It ended up being their worst race of the year by a long shot. I think Valtteri went into the wall at some point in the latter half of the race, and Lewis went off the track as well at some point, lost the front wing, had to box. I think he may have come around the wrong side of the ball or going into the pit. Like, it was just a disaster. I think he may have salvaged a point. Maybe he finished ninth or 10th or something like that, but it wasn't a great performance by them. And people kind of chalked it up to Netflix being involved. 
And I believe they may have been taping in Secure last year as well when they had their problems with Bottas and Russell in the pit. So people are, are kind of saying it's a bit of a Netflix curse. There's you know, a bit of bad luck that falls on your team when Netflix is in the pit with you. I will say that that race, Mercedes had a quote-unquote bad day at the office. It was just worth it to see Toto Wolf and Lederhosen lamenting like an old German man. <laughs> so, Andrew, I know you didn't get your full bingo card filled out, but what were some of the predictions you had going into the race? Well, I, I knew for a fact that the Haas cars would be the last of any finishers. And that, that appeared to be true, but I don't think that's really a super revelatory uh, prediction. Breaking news from Andrew Spencer, water is wet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but hey, I know what to do for next time. Yeah, that's good. Bill, what about you? What were some of your, what were some of the breaks that you had ahead of this race? Didn't quite get it onto the card as I wanted, but uh, no, I was expecting certainly Bottas to have much better performance and, and, and to do well and to unfortunate with his pit stop strategy there. And all of my predictions got foiled thanks to Leclerc not even starting. That really sort of hampers where we were going. I think we all expected Mazepin to spin, which he didn't, unfortunately. And there was no safety car, which, you know, you expect in Monaco at least one safety car, one yellow flag, something to slow them down for a little bit and compact the field. Is it fair to say we really missed some rain? We did. We did. Yes. Yes, that that you know, Monaco in the rain is, is fantastic. fantastic. There's been absolutely unbelievable races there over the years because it's so tight and turning, and, and you've got such a, a compacted field and you can't pass that it causes just so much carnage, really, at the end of the day. But it, it causes people to take risks, it causes people to challenge themselves. And I think one of the things we talk about F1 trying different things to spice up the field, especially if you look at a season or the last couple of seasons where we've had predictability within the top team. You know, reverse grids at Monaco, can you imagine what that would be like if you had a reverse grid? You know, just how fun that would be because you can't professionally drive around a track. You'd have to pass people. Well, yes. And I, I watched some of the Formula 2 this weekend, Phil. And uh, Formula 2, for those who don't know, it's a feeder series to F1. They do three races each weekend, two sprint races and a feature race. And they do a qualifying, which is how you shake out the feature race. And then they reverse the grid for the top 10 for the first sprint race. And this is going to play into the qualifying races that F1 is going to have. It was processional. It was 25 laps of nobody taking risk, nobody really trying to pass, nothing happened. Did a reverse grid, it would have to be in the race itself, like full out. You couldn't hold it back for anything else. You'd have to do it because that first F2 race was just awful. The second F2 race, it rained before the race. So if anybody who's watching live wants to go see what the rain does, everybody's on different tire strategies. People are taking big risks. They're sliding all over the place, sliding to the walls and to each other. It spiced up that second feature race. You know, maybe the old idea of Bernie's sprinklers come back. <laughs> For some of the races, that makes sense. Yeah. It could be interesting. You know, it's funny. I read about the GP Monaco back in 1931, and they were doing something really interesting back then. They literally drew lots. It was like having yeah. ballots for who got on pole and where you sat on the grid. And it got me thinking, like, that could be an incredible idea, is you run qualifying Saturday like you would normally run, but the higher you place in qualifying, the more ballots you get. But everybody's names get thrown into a big bin, and then they draw lots. And it completely mixes up the race for what could happen on Sunday, right? Because you could get a Mazepin, for example, sitting on pole position out of just pure chance. And now everybody's trying to figure out strategy and trying to figure out where some overtake somewhere could happen. It completely messes around with the race. This could be a lot of fun. 
Let's spice it up. We're, I'm, I think I'm hoping that next year's very different cars are going to be able to be a bit better on Monaco, just follow a bit more closely, potentially, and engage in some passing. I think it's how wide that track is, though. If you look at it, it is no more than sort of two car widths wide. Yeah, it was a little bit. I mean, it's two yeah. car widths like an inch on either side. It is incredibly tight. So it doesn't matter what you do with the cars. You need the track space just isn't there for these guys to take the risk for one race. I mean, and that's the problem with F1, where you've got this budget cap coming in equation and they're watching dollars and cents more than they're watching sports and everything like that at the end of the day. This ends up being a race that they're not going to take those big risks to destroy a monocoque chassis at you know, millions of dollars of damage. It doesn't matter until you either widen the track, which you can't do. It's, it's yeah. Monaco. I mean, there's nowhere to widen the track. Or you basically say, okay, this is a freebie, whatever damage you do. You know, the outside of the salary cap rates effectively. Yeah. Yeah. But but I mean, that's that that's only helpful if you're a team like Ferrari or Mercedes that has the financial capacity to go over the cap. Like I think if you're a Haas or a Williams, you're still going to be stuck, even if you allow that kind of overage. Yeah, but you might. But I think you might get some fun racing in the back end somewhere, too. Right. You know, people just trying to get that little bit of sponsorship that comes with saying I did well at Monaco. Otherwise, it just makes the race about Saturday qualifying more than it does anything else. I mean, of course, that too can change, right? As we saw this week with Charles Leclerc. Why don't you tell us that story, Phil? What happened with Charles this weekend? It's still a mystery, really, at the end of the day. I was listening, before we got onto this, listening to a couple of the Ferrari spokespeople as they were having their conversations with the media and everything like that. They still haven't fully diagnosed exactly what it was. They're saying it's a drive shaft on the opposite side where Leclerc hit the armco. Maybe they should have checked that before they decided the car was fit to race last Sunday, but that's not something they would have looked at. So I don't know how that would have changed what's going on. I mean, he was going in qualifying. He had an accident and sort of hit the Yamco and took out his suspension. And that ultimately, probably you could say they didn't do a thorough enough investigation on the car to deem it was worthy of racing the next day. This goes back to Andrew's comment about doing well at Monaco can be a wonderful big thing for a team. And you've got to have the feeling of the idea that they really like rolled the dice, so to speak, you know, do the change, take the penalty, especially if they knew it was something we won't know if this is broken until we put power to it on the track. We don't have warm up before the race. It's literally half an hour before the race, the pit lane opens and you can circulate to the grid or circulate, come back through the pit lane and do another lap or come back and tweak the car within the park family rules. But I think they threw away a bunch of points there, quite frankly. Yeah, I think they did, but I think they won a lot of goodwill. I mean, Charles is just pure class, right? Being second around for the Oh, race. Charles won the goodwill. He, he yeah. did. It wasn't the team, yeah. it was him. Yeah, he won the goodwill by showing up and, and being there and to support signs as he came across and took the second place there. But the team should have done a better job. But this is also, you know, goes back to, yeah, I understand why this park for May rules. And that's also a reason from cost capping perspective. But you know, at some point, this is a sport. If you want to win, you have to be finding a way to put in that money in, into the sport. And back before Park Frame rules, they would have caught this. To keep this open to folks, what are Park Frame rules, Phil? You're a lovely man, Gareth. Coming from the technician here, you know, the technical guy there, you know, you know all about them. You're asking the oldest statesman to sort of bullshit and pontificate his way through this, these things. Uh, but basically, you know, it's the car can't be touched other than for safety reasons. Essentially, once it's hit qualifying, you know, they won't work on the car to make further improvements. So what the settings that the car has basically at that time when they go out and qualifying on the first lap, that's the settings that they'll start the race on. You know, there's a couple of instances where they're allowed to go in and... Uh, you can do uh, wing angles, I think, and tweak tire pressures. You fix damage, I think. 
yeah, damage as long as it's uh, what's called like for like. So you can't put, you know, front wing B on in place of front wing C that you might have damaged. You can do that. And that's, again, a cost control thing, because once upon a time, as Phil remembers from his glory days, we basically had qualifying <laughs> cars. Yeah, they did. And, and it, it was fantastic. fantastic. I mean, they'd go yeah. out there and the car was purposely driven for just that lap, those couple of laps that they had and maxed out on the engine that they would just literally throw away out of the garage the next morning. You know, the chassis was pretty much specked out for just driving fast without any other traffic around. And they put themselves for just those scenarios. And then they'd have a completely different car when it came to race day. It made for some interesting racing because there were some teams that were just fantastic at being able to qualify. But then their actual race cars were not that great to drive. Right? The drivers, you really saw them struggle through the paces to sort of stay ahead and just be competitive. But cost-wise, I mean, yeah, this all makes sense yeah. why they sort of got rid of it from a costing perspective. It was astronomical. I mean, Williams's budget that year, I mean, the one that I'm thinking of, I can't even remember what the number was now. We're talking like hundreds of millions of dollars for 16 races. That was mm -hmm. a small race here, 16 yeah, yeah. races, you know? Um, but you, had, you had full <laughs> test teams and yeah. all that stuff that really drove everything forward. And, and they could test as much as they want back in those Yeah, days, they, they had test teams. Fantastic. Ah. Olivier Panis, who won Monaco in, what, 96? Yeah. He was a test driver only for McLaren, I think, in 99. And he, yep. did, he said he did 20,000 kilometers or something in testing. So it's cost control, but stuff like that would have saved Charles, just like what used to be called the T car, which was, hey, we bring two cars to the race, but we really have a third one back here in case somebody bins it either at the start or right before the race. 96, I think it was, it was yeah. the Schumacher and you know, racing back to the pits. Uh, like sprinting the back first, to the pits, yeah. After the first corner accident, it was fantastic. But you know, <laughs> had to get back before... The teammate got back to make sure that he got the race car specced out for him. Yeah, all those days are long gone. Which is fun about F1, though, right? It is a constantly evolving sport, and it has yeah. no fear of continuing to change and continuing to try to play with different alchemies, if you will, of the cars and the strategy and all these things to try to make it interesting for you know race fans in general. Now, clearly, this Monaco Grand Prix was filled with surprises, even though not completely thrilling ones. My particular bingo card was cleaner than my mom's kitchen floor, I swear. I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, you know what? You know, the first time we do this and somehow I find myself with an absolute minus 10. You know, I had a uh, safety car lap 15 to 20. Nope. Danny Ricknell's qualifying. Nope. nope. <laughs> My race classification for the top five was Leclerc, Hamilton, Verstappen, Ricardo Perez. Nope. Not even close. Danny Ricknell's qualifying. Nope. Bottas makes a splash. Clearly not. <laughs> um, In the pool at like lap 33. <laughs> <laughs> I've got George makes a pass and loses the place again. Didn't even come close. I had Timmy Nimbles at the point. Yep, no, not happening. Nothing. I got nothing on the board uh, Kim, today. Timmy Nimbles. Timmy Nimbles. Timmy Nimbles. Timmy Nimbles. Yeah, he, he was close. like 11th, right? He, he was yeah, he's 11th for uh, the last lap 44 to lap 77. Okay, we can call that nibbling at the point. So it wasn't a complete yeah. loss for me. And of course, Mazepin couldn't even get it done for me. The one week that I needed to at least score one point in terms of my bingo card, he had nothing. He actually finishes the race, manages to get past Mick Schumacher on a mechanical error on Mick's car, and yeah, that's nothing. I got nothing. Next race, look out. All of our guys will actually make their full eight predictions. We're going to keep Mazepin or Mazepin right in the middle of the card, but we're looking for everybody to make eight predictions so that we can play box, 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 bingo! And I will declare myself the champion. Thank you.
<laughs> Good thing these points matter, Gareth. Absolutely. Yeah. At some point, somebody's going to lay down these points as a bet, and it's going to be on from there. <laughs> What'd you draw, Lewis? All right. So let's move on to what you talk about, Willis, where we look at some of the week's best radio calls between Driver and Pitwall, some of the broadcaster's best moments, and even some of our own commentary from our in-race text chat. One of the things that started this podcast was a text chat that we do, and the commentary is just absolutely hilarious and a lot of fun, and, and this week was no exception. I feel like we didn't get treated to the best radio this week, unlike last week where we had, you know, Mercedes team boss Toto Wealth needling race control about blue flags and Bottas asserting his right to be petulant. So, Sax, what were your radio calls of note? Ah, well, as I ate my dinner this evening, I went back and watched the 22-minute radio cut that's on F1 TV. And I don't want to steal anybody's stuff. I feel like maybe Phil or Spencer's got their Phil of Lewis radio. But I think the telling radio, no, 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 no gearbox. Charles Leclerc on one of his warm-up laps. That's off, cruel. Yeah, that kicked off the series of events that <laughs> turned this from a Will Charles and Max Verstappen have an epic fight for first place and can Charles Leclerc, who is not in a championship height, fight in his hometown, he's a Monegasque, go balls to the wall to win the race versus Max Verstappen, who might have to be a more conservative because he does have a championship fight. And that no, 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 pause, no, gearbox, boom, different, upended the championship standings. So that was my number one. Let's stick with the tragedy. Other radio call, blue flags for Lando. Danny Rick's radio. Daniel Ricardo, yeah. former winner of this race, almost won it twice as won it once, is being lapped by his teammate when he is down in like 13th place or something like that. That was hard to watch too. I mean, getting lapped by your teammate is never good. But I mean, I think that I thought, I thought that Danny Rick was going to come to grips with the car a little faster than he has. It hasn't really been a great start for him this year. He still, I think, has the edge on Lando in qualifying, but just on pure race pace, like he just does not seem to have it yet. He's moved teams and he's kind of battling behind the car. And he's got Lando Norris who finishes on the podium and your biggest competitor is your teammate. So I think we all feel bad for him and hope he's going to do better. But I think everybody who swapped teams has struggled. This is a year though, Gareth. If you look at everyone who's actually swapped teams, and that's a good point that you bring up, it's a year that everybody who's actually swapped teams is actually struggling. Nobody who swapped teams is excelling. I look signs. Yeah, signs on the podium. Signs, signs finally got on the podium. This race is the first race that he stepped out. This is the first out. race, I agree. You know, yeah, it sucks, but I mean, I think the McLaren is a bit more of a handful, and it certainly has been geared and set up Lando's way over the years, right? The Ricardo's way. That has a large part to play in, in terms of where it's been. And I think also Ricardo is fairly sensitive to how a team is set up and structured around. He always has been. I mean, when, when Vettel was there at Red Bull, that was always, you know, he accepted where his place was. When Vettel moved on, he expected he was going to take over that shining spot within the team. And to not be the favorite within the team, that didn't go over well. And that certainly didn't serve him well when Max stepped in and basically showed the lightest of the direction that Red Bull was going. You know, he hopped over to Renault. You know, he hadn't had a teammate there that truly challenged him. You know, Con is good, but just stepping into that role now. I would say still give it some time. He's going to step up. He's going to get to grips with that McLaren, and we're going to see some great things there. Well, I mean, I think we all want to see him on the podium. In my working theory about this year and everybody switching teams, everybody's running effectively a B-spec car, an evolution of last year's car. 
you're not walking in kind of cold together with your teammate to a new to them car. So you might have a bigger delta as between teammates who hadn't experienced last year's car. But that's my working theory. We've gotten away from radio. And I think I'd like to turn it over to somebody else to talk about some radio because I've got some great stuff if nobody gets to it. Well, there were two radio calls that uh, really stood out for me, definitely on opposite ends of the spectrum. The first was from number five, Mr. Seb Vettel, after the race was over, and he let fly a ring a ring a ring a ring a ring a ring It was so great <laughs> to hear Seb animated, to hear him sound happy, you know, to be oh. taking some pleasure and having a good finish. I mean, it has been a tough, what, we call it two and a half years for Seb. It was really, really great to see him have some success with Aston Martin to kind of get, in some ways, the monkey off his back, you know, by scoring some points, beating his teammate again for the second week in a row. I really hope it's a harbinger of kind of better things to come for Seb. I still think he's got a lot of, uh, a lot of laps left to do before he quits. You know, I'd pass it off to Phil, but I know this is just his excuse to complain about Hamilton. So I'm just going to... I wasn't going to stop there. Come on, give me a second. I've actually, I've got the ones I really want to start with. Yeah, I'm gonna hit on, I'm, I, You know I'm going to hit on <laughs> Hamilton, but you know... Of course you are. But... I actually want to start with the radio chats that existed on the house team. And I mean, you know what? It's funny because we're talking a lot about the teams that are at the front. And now I'm talking about the team that's at the back. And I don't know what's happened to the teams in the middle. But there were some interesting contrasts that I have to say. There's a couple of absolutely outstanding moments where the Haas engineers are telling Mazepin to change settings on his engine. And the guy is like, I can't understand you. This is Monaco. You got to be kidding me. And I'm like, yeah, you're a driver right in Monaco. You've got to know how to turn dials on the steering wheel while you're driving, right? <laughs> but then on contrast, I mean, you, you flip to his teammate who is having a fuel management problem back in lap 27. And his engineer says, okay, you're going to have to let Maz go by which he does, and he's there navigating and driving the track, fixing everything. There's a lot of exchanges that he had with his engineer. And that's the only reason that, at the end of the day, you know, Maz stayed ahead and actually got ahead of him because the engineer said, no, 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 you got to stay stationed. Ten laps to go. We know you're a second a lap faster than him, but you got to stay stationed. you got to hold this place, right? And that's the frustrating part. But here's a guy that you know, figured out how to drive and change controls on a steering wheel. So contrast on the Haas team, we've got some differences there about who can actually drive and who can't. Phil, one sounds like a petulant child, <laughs> and the other sounds like a race car driver. And Daddy has bought and paid for at least him to finish ahead of Mick at least once, so he feels good about himself. I think it was an orchestrated fix. I mean, it's obvious. Yeah, that's an orchestrated, you know, yeah, having a moment where he's saying, you know what, let's give this to Mazepin. It's going to be his only one out the whole year. Yeah, right. it's no yeah, hold position. It's Still, like, though, I mean, if you're going to be a Formula One driver, like you've got to be able to walk and chew gum, not absolutely. walk and having somebody else chew the gum for you. That's exactly it. I mean, I don't see how, and I mean, I'm bold and opinionated, that's why I'm on this channel, but how is this guy in Formula One? Other than I've got a rich daddy who's paying for me to basically so, sit in a seat. Why do we come to Monaco? Because billionaire playthings. And oh, you've okay. got Stroll's daddy's $200 million yacht, that maybe he's going to sell or buy from Nicholas Latifi's daddy, another billionaire. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, Canadian billionaires were all here. Um, and you've got, Not on this call. Yeah. <laughs> That's our problem. Talk, I'm talking about my neighbor who actually owns a house in Toronto. And you've got people like Daddy Mazepin coming in. Like it is billionaire playthings, and it can degrade the quality of the sport because we're off radio talk here. But the Lance Stroll, Nicholas Latifi, 
and or Nikita Mazepin need to be driving F1? Were there more talented people who could make it through? You know, at least one, if not two of the three, yeah. Well, let's go back to the West Coast, because Spence, you had a really interesting comment that you draw from radio. What was yours on the big sticky note? So, you know what? I loved Seb. I thought Seb was, uh, was fantastic to hear him in such great spirits. I think Phil's going to want to touch on this a little later, too. On the opposite end, you had Lewis. And I think what was so telling was not what was said, but what wasn't said after the checkered flag. Bono was in his ear telling him, you know, tough race, buddy. We'll get him next time. We'll figure out what happened. And there was just absolute silence on the other end. Like he was, he was not a very happy camper. I probably was not super happy with his own performance, but it seemed like he was really upset with the team. So, you know, it would have been a great debrief to be a part of, to be a fly on the wall to watch that. Probably wouldn't have wanted to be a race engineer for Mercedes this week. I think that's, uh, that's fair to say. <laughs> I think there were some very tough conversations there, but I think it's telling. I mean, and we can talk about this as a different segment in its own right, but there's been a transformation in Hamilton over the last couple of years. And I'll freely admit, I've never been the hugest and biggest of Hamilton fans. But when he was early on racing with Mercedes and McLaren before that, he wasn't always solely about himself. You know, there was, he talked a lot of a team game. He really tried to play. Yeah. He played mind games with his teammates. That's how he, he won against them every single time. But certainly over the last year, you listen to Hamilton's radios, you listen to his interviews, you listen to what he's saying. You know, I'm the shit and, you know, my team is the problem, right? And from experience, I mean, you just have to look at any of the race teams that have collapsed over the years, whether we're talking about Williams, Ferrari, Red Bull, anything, McLaren, you know, that attitude when it starts to ingrain itself within a team is detrimental. And I think we're starting to see what will be eventually the unhinging of Mercedes. Uh, that makes sense. I know, you know, I will admit that I am amongst us probably, you know, easily the biggest of the Hamilton fanboys for a lot of reasons. And I have been that way since he started his career. But I think even at one point during the tech chat this weekend, I kind of piped in as like, Lewis, just shut up and drive already. Like, find a way. This is, this is the brand. Like, Stop complaining on the radio. Just figure out where there is that millimeter that you can get and show them what you can do. Grab one plate. And I, I was shocked at the almost melancholy that he brought. Mopey Lewis. Yeah, he seemed designed to sort of sit back and sort of keep his six slots or whatever, seven spots, well, you know, carry on that way rather than trying to figure out, okay, how can I get past Pierre? How can I get past Vettel to tra- strategize me on pit strategy? But yeah. Uh, but this is racing. No, I mean, this is that's something I wrote down. He, you know, he says, "How is it I'm still behind him now?" Yeah. About Pierre Gasly, I guess, kind of the one other thing about you know self-centered, but racing drivers are apparently. He was whining or whinging about, "Oh, you've told me I'm safe to stroll plus three seconds, so what are you doing with the strategy call?" Yeah, you know what? That really pissed me off. They're giving you the option to pit to go for that fastest lap because he later says, "Well, I need that point." then make the call. Don't just be mopey and whingy about it. Yeah, I'm listening to Lewis almost say to his engineers, like, can't you do math? I'm like, come on, just shut up and drive. Like, it was it was, it was, was not a good weekend for Mercedes. You know, there was a Lewis radio call that I actually did enjoy this weekend, but it was from free practice, I think, one, where his engineers were talking to him about, it's like this on P10, this on P11, and Lewis pipes up, he's like, what corner is that, man? It's like, oh, uh, that's swimming pool. Well, just call it that already. <laughs> Proper. Like, You'd hear that. That All was right. pretty good. Proper. Yeah. Proper. Yeah. Corners that have names going, yeah. should be used. 
I really enjoyed actually was the one that Alonso said in one of the practice sessions. You know, I touched the wall. Well, no, you didn't just touch the wall. Your wing is totally yeah. gone, pal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the wing is, is not associated with the car anymore. That's not touching. That's demolished. But okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> it, was, it was so calm on the radio. Yeah, I touched the wall. Yeah. That's when he basically straight lined it into what Anthony Nogas or whatever yeah. that is called. Yeah. Bit more of a touch. Uh, looking for the parking lot entrance. It's somewhere around there, actually. There is a parking lot entrance to that. Oh, that's actually, it's not a radio call. It's a commentary call. It was, I want to say it was from free practice three or maybe qualifying where David Croft, he's the sky commentator, does the English feed, said, no, Kimmy, the service is tomorrow because uh, Kimmy gone wide and sent the vote. There's a chapel there called two cent the vote. Mm-hmm. That one cracked me up a bit. A late, great camaraderie moment with the drivers of the weekend. One of my favorites was Lando's doing an interview and Max comes over to interrupt him. And Lando's like, hold on, dude, like social distancing, please. And Max is like, we've been so close for the last 15 minutes and now you want me to stay away? <laughs> yeah, referring to like Lando actually kind of putting the fight to them, even though he's always a pit stop away. It was, it was a good moment. It was a lot of fun. It was also fun to see Carlando come back. You know, yeah. Carlos and Lando have a moment. <laughs> On the podium interviews, that was pretty fantastic. That was um, enjoyable so, to see those young guys on the podium and, and to see that yeah. energy is totally different than certainly what we've seen in the recent years. Yeah. Uh, so it's nice to have that young energy, that young sort of joie de vie on the podium. I can't end this particular segment without Stax doing the important impression of our favorite Aston Martin driver. Take it away, Gareth. Right. Oh, man, that was way shorter than I expected it to be. I was longer than that. Oh, and actually, <laughs> as I listened to the radio replays, he was definitely whining about stuff, but he didn't say Brad. It was shocking, appalling. But coming back to Lando, Lando's kind of celebration after the final lap, that was cute. He swore a lot, but it was yeah. cute. Yeah. And Kimmy had a Kimmy moment. I don't know if you guys heard that. No, I missed it. No, I missed that one. Fucking drinks tube. Fucking drinks filter. filter. What's it with his drinks tube? He never gets it right. So apparently his drinks tube came loose again and like the cool down lap, you know, mode 33, pick up, recover. Fucking drinks tube. I see. You know what? I did hear that one. That's absolutely right. He was going off about it. Apparently it came off on the formation lap and emptied all the way down his back. Nice. So he had the entire 78 lap. With you know, it's sweaty anyway, but you know, it's definitely wet now. Then there's Yuki Snow radio, right? He was like, beep, 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 and beep, 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 and I do hear any Yuki radio. No, I didn't hear Yuki at all. That was one of my predictions about Yuki swearing and then walking it back later. Yeah, he was kind of missing in action this weekend. I didn't hear much from Yuki at all. No, no way, but yeah, I think didn't get out of Q1. No, Andrew, he was in that midfield of teams that sort of sat between uh, position nine and 16. You know, we didn't hear anything about anyone who sat in those roles, right? You know, the best part of race weekend, this year for me at least, is the tech chat that our panel engages in during qualification and the live race run. And there's always something that gets, at least me, howling in laughter. And this time around, I was in a spit take because I literally just take a little bit of coffee when our man Gareth texts. You know, I always like the random Monaco track ads. I'm off to buy some super yacht insurance. <laughs> <laughs> it is actually where the other half lives, right? So it, yeah. it, is, it is a special place. It's the one place where you'd actually get traction from a super yacht billboard. Super yacht insurance <laughs> billboard. 
<laughs> All right. So that ends. What you talking about, Lewis? The best of radio or broadcast quotes from the week. I'm sure and next week we'll have some great, great radio as we get into Baku. But it's time now to move on to... Judge, let's talk about the glamour and glitz of the Monaco GP. And not just about the fashion, but of the cars, the people, the drivers. I, you know, I'm going to start this because I know Phil wants to go there. That golf livery put on by McLaren this week. That was just absolutely fabulous. That has to be one of the best liveries I've seen in years. I mean, striking, you, you knew exactly where it was when you saw it on the track. It didn't interfere with anything else. It's the best part about it. And it's so, you know, it just reignited some of the old flames that you see with some of the livery changes that teams used to make all the time. You know, for me, I think that was, that should be a keeper. You know, I know that Zach Brown has said, you know, it's a one-off and because it's a one-off, we won't ever do it again. But I'm like, you know, that's what the car should look like all the time. This orange, it needs a bit of extra color to it to add dimension. Uh, And quite frankly, you know, you can see the sponsors much better. We knew who they were, right? So uh, for me, that was keeping it real, keeping it there. And then the other thing, I know Norris's helmet, I thought was a classic. I think the extra dollars yes. on top really helped him get around the circuit a little bit better this time. So, but uh, yeah, I thought those are the highlights for me. As for everything else, fashion-wise, I'll leave it to you, gents. I'm probably the least fashionable guy here. Whatever. You're the one in the pink shirt today, man. I, uh, Mind I you, I, I was just going to say, I'm not the one that's wearing a Ferrari hat and a Mercedes shirt. I mean, right. you know, you <laughs> couldn't figure out which team to support, I guess, today. Whatever. <laughs> this is a uh, an homage to Charles, and I'm just throwing you one. I normally don't wear this Ferrari hat at all, ever, but it's kind of one of those things. Had to do it. Every I mean, Ferrari fan out there, Randy, thanks you and appreciates that, right? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. You know, before we move on from this, Gareth, why don't you tell some of our listeners who are, again, very new to F1, what we mean when we say livery, and what's kind of the deal with liveries at Monaco, which tend to be a little bit different sometimes than the regular ones? What's the deal? Liveries are how you dress your car. It's what you put on your car. And Monaco, special race, big attention, special sponsors, special folks coming in. People will dress up their cars special for Monaco. They'll dress up their helmets special for Monaco as well. Drivers are allowed to, I think, are they allowed to do one special helmet right now a year? Because it used to be all the time. Yeah, I think it's one or two. They're, they're maxed out on one yeah. or two helmets. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a couple. But you can't change delivery all the time, which people usually yeah. save that one for Monaco. And if you're going to do it, you're going to do it here because it's going to get the most attention. And Williams also had a little bit of extra to their livery this year for Monaco. It was their 750th race, which, again, I think the car looks beautiful this year. They added, I think, some black and some more stuff to it. I thought it looked great. It's just too bad it's at the back of the field. (laughs) Yeah. But coming back to the fashion, I got two things here. And this actually plays into the fashion. If you watch the race, Serena Williams, tennis star, world-renowned, she got to wave the checkered flag. She actually got to get interviewed as they were interviewing Max Verstappen at the podium. I thought it was useless. Quite frankly, how <laughs> you really feel. Yeah. No, it's, as much as I maybe enjoy tennis and I don't, I really don't care to hear anybody but the drivers speak right now. It's like if I went to a tennis event, would I want to hear some random F1 driver who's in the crowd come and speak? No, absolutely not. If I was a tennis fan. Oh, that was actually easily one of the best memes of the weekend was um, Serena at Wimbledon accepting the trophy and Max there speaking oh, on her yeah. behalf. That's a good one. So here are my fashion highlights from the weekend. This is Serena's PR handler and those pants. I, I don't know what's going on. I consulted somebody who knows about fashion, my partner, 
And she said, those are easily $3,000 and that you would not wear underwear with them. And leaves me the question, why is there a hole there and how long are they going to stay away for? Sometimes you just got to use suspenders, right? It's just uh, wherever you can, man, wherever you can. Exactly, exactly. And the, the other beautiful bit of fashion, this guy, gray suit on the right of the podium. He's obviously, you know, a Grimaldi heir of some sort. They're the royal family in Monaco. He's wearing this weird single-breasted, asymmetrical, boxy, like he's going to go to Zoot Suit Riot, but tried to make his own from the thrift store and kind of screwed up. <laughs> I want to say if Martin Brundle had looked at it, it would be a decidedly secondhand suit. <laughs> and I saw that and this incredibly wealthy inbred chap in a secondhand suit. So there we go. That's my It could be that he actually borrowed the jacket and he had an extra button stitch there so it could actually form fit. No, no, there, there are mean... no buttonholes on this side of the suit. It was super weird. <laughs> my daddy had this suit and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going downhill here, Dan. Randy, I just, I just like to say, for the record, I don't have a ton of comments to make on the fashion from this weekend. I mean, I think Phil hit on the highlight, which was the McLaren livery, but I will say seems like Gareth has some very strong fashion opinions for a guy that often wears socks with sandals. I'll just put oh, that out there. Oh, only when the temperature is below 10 degrees. It's I was going to say, he's copying Ted Kravitz there, Andrew. It's all good. Oh, no. Ted Kravitz was actually wearing shoes this race. For those of you who don't know, Sky F1, they've got a roving pit lane reporter named Ted Kravitz. And he does a notebook segment that I have always liked because it gets you behind the scenes. Like mm-hmm. He's in the paddock when they're either after qualifying or after the race when they're breaking stuff down and people are packing up or running around doing media interviews. It's super interesting. And he also just kind of shares all sorts of tidbits. He wears sandals sometimes. He wasn't this week. But one thing he shared that I wanted to bring up about Valtteri Bottas's wheel nut. They basically, they rounded off the nuts, like taken off a rusted stuck bolt. They just put too much torque to it, rounded off the corners. Apparently, a lot of the other teams have a tool kind of a break the nut tool they can use in emergencies. Mercedes doesn't have it. And just focusing back on Mercedes being, you know, ultra prepared for everything. It's one of those, why don't you have this? He said he knew that some other teams had that. So it was could... just a profound statement on this year's season, right? Mercedes has a nut they can't crack. Yeah, its name is Max Verstappen, but that's, that's right, it's also part of the conspiracy theory for Lewis to win only and then and, and anybody else that has to struggle. I mean, you know, if we want to go down that path, let's look at any time that Lewis is doing badly, that his teammate tends to be doing equally and worse all of a sudden. And there's no explanation for it. Which you know? tends to be in fashion for Mercedes. So let's take it to your observation, Phil. What was, I thought there was something here about Norris's helmet that you thought was particularly interesting. The goggles. I think I, the goggles. The goggles. The goggles. You know, they gave um, him an extra insight around the track, right? No, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, it, it's funny, right? Because to me, at Monaco 2021, we entered this odd twilight zone where Miami Vice meets the pandemic, like white or light gray blazers with soft pants. Like I am sure I saw a few of like the royalty and the broadcasters wearing what had to be. Nico Rosberg has been wearing taupe since he started broadcasting. It's weird. It's a white or light gray blazer with like Lululemon pants and white sneakers that were all the rage at Monaco this year. Style maven that I am, you know, these things are important to me. Like what the hell? It was pure pandemic fashion all throughout, at least for the men. You know, I was a little disappointed, actually. You know, usually the women's fashions are pretty great at Monaco, but nothing to really write home about. I've got one more one fashion. Oh, hit us. Do it. There were Dutch fans on yachts rocking, like, 
orange blazers with orange suit pants. I'm sure like made a seersucker or whatever, Lululemon, but they were all <laughs> rocking around in their orange suits. It was hilarious. There's a whole store just devoted to orange clothing in Holland. You know that, right? Oh, yeah. It's like, it's like the whole store devoted to green clothing in Saskatchewan. <laughs> right. uh, that's it for F1 Fashion. Okay, let's close out this week's episode with win or whinge. Each of us is going to drop three things into this particular group chat that you enjoyed or perplexed by or simply downright irked with from this weekend's race. And one very short prediction for what we'll see in Azerbaijan in two weeks from now. So we'll start with our other statesman. Ah, oh my God, there's a lot of things I want to, I think we can sort of take away from this week. But I think for me, the lack of direction that Mercedes is going in right now is when it comes to anything but Lewis is one thing that I'm sort of, I'm getting frustrated by seeing. And I am a Mercedes fan. I'm just not a Lewis fan. Other things sort of from my side of things, I think it was poor form on Haas's part for their orchestration for Mazepin to be ahead of his teammate there. I mean, if, if a drive is faster, you know, it's not like it's 40 points here. Let's take it where we can get it. And I, uh, you had to feel the pain today or this weekend for Charles, you know, but what a man to step up and actually deliver and come out to the podium. I think that's second to none. Absolutely love Monaco, but you see how challenging it is. No rookies in the points. And you know, anybody who hadn't raced at Monaco before, they were stuck at the back of the grid trying to contribute with the track. Uh, as for my prediction for the next race at Baku, oh, I think it's uh, party time in the F1 stewards villa for flex wing controversy 2021. <laughs> All right, tell us more about that. You can't just hang that out there and not think. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to seeing where the teams fall out with this whole flexwing saga. I mean, you know, you've got Mercedes saying they're going to file a complaint about the fact that the rule changes aren't going to come in fast enough. I mean, and here's a team that years ago would have been benefiting from these changes and would on purpose stalled them any major changes in their processes. But no, no, now because it's advantageous for them to complain, they're going to be uh, filing a complaint. And it's going to be interesting to see where the other teams fall, you know, whether they're falling to manufacturer lines. I mean, if you've got uh, Aston and, and Williams and, and McLaren now as well, falling in line with Mercedes, or if uh, we're going to get some uh, dissension in those ranks. I'm interested to see what happens here, because the reality is, you know, the rules were set up. You had to build your car to those rules. This is no different than 2009 Braun with the diffuser. You know, the rules were there. They found a way of making the rules work to their advantage. Let's live with it, folks. Let's learn how to race from it. Let's make them count. All of a sudden, no, we've got to appeal it and, and you know, fight for it. I think that's the wrong way for the sport. You know, this is a sport. This isn't a battlefield in the court. I say that when I know I've got two lawyers in the room. All right. Well, let's see what happens. All right. So, you know what? Before we even get to this, right? I got to know. Did you break 100? Oh, I broke a hundred. Come on, I am a I'm a golfer, Andy, but it doesn't mean it was good though. It doesn't mean it was uh, it was good at all. All right, two um, takeaways from the weekend and one thing for Baku next two weeks. Well, look, I'll start with the prediction for Baku. I think it's still going to be a, a tough race for Mercedes. I think another street circuit is not what they're probably wanting to see right now. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. Maybe they've got enough top end ground to really take advantage of that long straight in Baku. But uh, we'll have to see what comes. In terms of what I'm taking away from this week, I thought that it was a great week for Aston Martin, as we discussed. Double points finish, both Stroll and Vettel having a decent race. I think that was very important for them. 
leapfrogging both AlphaTauri and Alpine the standings for the constructors. I think that that's great to see. Second thing, the young guns we continue to get better. Both Carlos and Lando on the podium, love to see it. And finally, I don't know, this is probably a controversial one, but we need to consider whether Mazepin has actually improved. I mean, this is the guy who, you know, the second turn at Bahrain earlier this year was in the Armco. The fact that he managed to keep it between the Mayo and the Mustard on a track as technical as Monaco, I mean, that may may show that he's getting a little bit better. I, I don't know. I think you're, you're, you're stretching on that one, Andrew. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying, though. The, the guy, he gets, he gets ragged on a lot, but I mean, it is a tough track, a uh, technical track. He's definitely far from the strongest driver in the grid, but I think we have seen some improvement. I think it'll just be a question of how long does dad want to keep the cash taps open for with that guy? I thought I was the optimist of the group. Like, what the hell? <laughs> like, has Mazepin improved? Are you serious? Yeah. Hey, guys, it's a low bar. We got to remember what we're talking about, right? This is relative to his past performance. No, and I mean, a guy who can't keep it on the track for half a lap in Bahrain. Like, this is an improvement. He, he kept Every, it on the island. He kept it on the island this time, right? Track. Yeah during the race hey. everybody else kept on the track during the race it would have been different if all the other rookies smashed their way out of the race but mazepin didn't do anything no other rookie did and he was a second of a lap slower than his teammate who wanted to get past him and you got to look at the timing thing. i mean you got to look at his timing his timing isn't any better than it was when he started he hasn't yet really gotten faster than mick which is his only barometer that he has this year any of the races he hasn't gone faster to me, it's like a 12-year-old who's finally had a bold because they've been keeping up the two bumpers on the gutters for like at least five years, right? <laughs> like, yeah, again, you just keep it between these things. Don't hit them. <laughs> like, really? That's what our standard is? Can we just call this the but, We Show Mazepin podcast? He <laughs> <laughs> kept it on the island, though, guys. That's a positive. He kept it on the island. That has to be something. I agree with you on that, Andrew. He had to have done something different to keep it smooth. This, this, this Absolutely. Round. I'm not going to give him anything else, though. He did. Dax, your three takeaways from the weekend and one leading into back to Okay. My win, my takeaway. This was a nice little shakeup. The race may have been boring. Yes, it's technically interesting, blah, blah, blah. But nice shakeup as to what went on. And nice shakeup to the standings. I like it. I think it sets us up for an interesting next little stretch. Merck is on top. Lewis is on top. Let's go. My other takeaway. If Ferrari could please make a decent and legal engine. <laughs> Never heard a compliment and insult all at the same time, Gareth, you know. <laughs> no, I specialize in that. I think we've seen that they've got a really great kind of chassis in terms of mechanical grip, low speed grip, and probably some of the aero stuff. Make a decent engine and actually be part of the top three rather than the three fourth fight. My whinge, Tele Monaco. So the company that runs all the images we all see is done by Monaco's TV station for reasons that are weird and specific to Monaco and their special commercial agreement. And my God, did they screw up this race? The onboards were bad. Nothing made any sense. They mislabeled people. They ought not to be doing this. Most other races in the F1 calendar are actually filmed by Formula One itself. So if you're going to have a race this boring, you've got to have TV that makes up for it, and they didn't deliver. I'm sorry, Gareth. We actually missed the last three sentences because we cut the lead scroll. So, 
And you thought you were serious for a second there, Randy. <laughs> but, Randy, did you cut to Lance Stroll or Esteban Ocon in a green car? I can't tell. <laughs> Kelly Monaco is doing on-screen graphics. I know. I totally get you. Like that. I think I commented at that yeah. moment in the race. I was like, what the hell is the director doing? And it wasn't until later that I realized that it was oh. a different director than, than normally. Because they cut away from yeah. a great fight. Like it was right in there. We should have seen like, that Vettel and Gasly fight from all 48 angles yeah, yeah. live. Oh, and from, from Hamilton's car. That would have been the, the best angle yeah. to show it from. Yeah. Oh, easily. And from they, they had board? the tools yeah. and they screwed it up. And it was so boring <laughs> that like from laps 15 to about 32, I took a shower and got a cup of coffee. <laughs> I knew I'd come back and, oh, here's a, here's a replay of Valtteri Bottas's pit stop going wrong and nothing else has happened. And there wasn't anything on screen to see. Baku predictions. Resurgence of Valtteri Bottas. Oh, Valbot does do well with Baku. Yeah. Yeah. Resurgence of Valtteri Bottas. And I want to actually say, has Leclerc done well at Baku before? No, he's uh, been there twice. No, he almost got pulled. Was it last year or the year before? But he definitely ran into the castle. Yeah. And pinned it. I'm such an idiot, he said. <laughs> he did say that. That, was, that has to be the best radio line, actually, from that race. <laughs> Here's one more prediction. Uh, yeah. He's gone well at Baku before. The car's coming up. Let's see what Lance Stroll can do. Oh, well, all right. Yeah, that could be interesting. So, yeah, my two wins. For me, the biggest one was seeing the return of Sebastian and the rise of Aston for the day. That was just super exciting, you know. That has been long coming for this. And he, you know, he drove a great race. He had the strategy right. You know, next week we'll talk about tire strategy and what that means and how that all plays out and what an undercut versus an overcut means. And we'll we'll get into some of the pit strategy pieces. We'll uh, do a segment on that. But it was just exciting to see Seb happy and having fun behind the wheel of an F1 car. You know, Andrew, you said it, right? It's just been too long since that. Second win for me, it was really kind of a bittersweet thing, right? Charles first causes cataclysmic changes, but so much class. I've never seen a driver really just bring that level of, you know, camaraderie and kingsmanship. And you see him not just with Carlos, but with other drivers, like really, you know, letting them know that, hey, look, this was hard for me, but I'm so glad you guys had a great race. And, and there are just such great moments of seeing Charles really show what it means to be a sportsman and, and kind of bringing that, if you want to, that gentlemanliness that we know from Jackie Stewart, right? That kind of sense of this is a gentleman sport, really back to the grid. And, and that was super exciting. My whinge is always going to be qualifying, right? I honestly think if ever there was a place to experiment with the lottery grid, you know, the lower you place on the grid, maybe the more balance you get that might land you on pole in a random draw, Monaco is the place to experiment with that, right? Have some fun with qualifying because that's what makes the difference in the race. You're not going to overtake. Yeah, there's strategy battles and there's other things to do, but give it some intrigue that isn't just the drive itself. Because, I mean, even next year, and we'll see what next, what happens next year, there's going to be a lot of fun there. As for Baku, you know what? As much as I love Ricardo backing into Ocon uh, last year or the year before, really, I'm looking to see Honey Badger dial this thing in. I mean, he knows this course. He, you know, he loves his road courses and he knows that he can pull it off. And I think he's the last of the late breakers. And I think that somehow he'll make Baku work for him that way. So 
as was seen in, uh, two years ago when he decided to break up the back end of, uh, of, of Max. Max yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, yeah, he, he doesn't always do well there, uh, Randy, but I like the, I like the optimism on the prediction. I'll, you know, I'll go with that. <laughs> oh, you know, it was like, I'll always be a Max fan, man. He's my boy. <laughs> like, it's, uh, you know, that's who my Red Bull jersey is for. It was for Danny when he was there and, and still got the big Pepe Jones on it. So, yeah, that's all good. So, and that brings us to the end. And get in there, fellas. The checkered flag drops on another race week for us. We've had some great times breaking it down. And I hope you, the fans, will join us in two weeks where we'll be on another street circuit in Azerbaijan with a circuit of Baku always gives us some fun storylines. Um, if you liked what you heard, please throw us some stars. Even better, please follow us at Flippin' F1. Tweet out this link to your broadcast. Invite a friend to listen next week. And we'll talk to you then. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye, fellas. Good night. See ya.